Right now, you can turn your Bibles to the book of Acts, the book of Acts and chapter number two. We've had some families uh, the first Sunday of this month. We had some families and a few individuals join our church, uh, decide to become uh, members and participate here in Hunt Valley Baptist Church. We've had some individuals come. We've got some people getting baptized uh, the last of this month. And then the first Sunday of next month, we have some more people that have chosen and decided to come and make themselves uh, accountable and to be part of the church by joining in membership. And, uh, you know, I taught a 10-week class on membership matters, and the idea is that membership does matter, and there are matters of membership that are, that are important. And so we've taught that. We'll probably teach it again at some point in the future. But whether you've been a member here for many, many years or you joined at the beginning of this month, or you've got a plan maybe to join in the coming months, wherever you're at, could I exhort you this morning unto love and good works? Could I take the Word of God and for a few minutes give you some instruction on some insight maybe, what the Word of God has to say about being a member and uh, as a Christian how we can be the most effective and profitable member that God would want us to be. I believe anybody that's a member of of this church or any church would have as a desire to be the most beneficial, the most profitable. They want to be a blessing to the church, not a burden. Amen? I mean, I would think anybody, uh, any Christian, that would be their desire, to be a blessing to the church, to not be a burden to the church, to try and fulfill God's will in and through the ministry that God brought them to. Some of the things that I give you this morning are going to be very straightforward and simple. As I bring a message that I've entitled, How to Be a Good Church Member. How to Be a Good Church Member. These things are simple and straightforward, and some uh, aspects you may look at it and you say, Oh, Pastor, I, I knew that already. Well, I'm sure that many of these things, although they are very simple, you would understand them and believe them, and you could tell me uh, them yourself without me even preaching this message. I have taught on these things actually in January of 2015. So it's been five years since I've presented these thoughts, and there's been a few new people since then. And uh, it wouldn't hurt for some of us to be reminded of these principles and be exhorted and encouraged unto them. In 2 Peter chapter 1, you're in Acts, you're in the right place. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse number 12 and 13, he says, Wherefore, I would not be, I will not neglect to put you always in remembrance of these things, though ye know them and be established in the present truth. Yea, I think it meet as long as I am in this tabernacle to stir you up by putting you in remembrance. Peter's saying, hey, I know you know this, but let me stir you up a little bit. Let me encourage you a little bit. Let me help you a little bit with this. These ideas that sometimes maybe they fall to the back of our mind or we might forget them. Let's read our text this morning in Acts chapter 2. You should be there. We're going to read in verse number 41. You follow along as I read from 41 down to verse number 47. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day they were added unto them about 3,000 souls. 
And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they continued daily with one accord in the temple and the breaking of bread from house to house. They did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. The Lord added to his church here. I believe that Jesus Christ started his church. And here in the book of Acts, the church was added to. Uh, so to become a member of Hunt Valley Baptist Church, three things are necessary. You've got to be saved, baptized, in agreement with the statement of faith. That is Article 2 of our Constitution. Lots of things in the Constitution about the running of the church, the administration, and those types of things. But what we believe is of utmost importance is what the Bible teaches. And we want to know that you are in agreement with what, the, what we say the Bible teaches where we as a church stand. And so those three things are necessary. The church, the church is an amazing and beautiful thing. God only ordained three institutions here on earth, the family. He set the family up, husband and wife, man and woman, one man, one woman for life. That is by God's plan, and they would, per God's blessing, because God is the one that gives life and God is the one that takes life, Per God's blessing, they may have children. And this one man, one woman, committed to each other for all their days, may have the joy of raising kids. And the challenge there is that we do it in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. The family unit instituted by God. Then you have the institution of government. As much as we may like or dislike the current government, Hey, government is ordained of God. And we are told in the book of Romans that we are to render unto Caesar that which is Caesar. We are to obey them that are rule, have rule over us. We are to submit to the powers that be. The institution ordained by God, as long as we are to obey God first. So if they ever say, you cannot preach, from that book. The government has officially said you cannot preach from that book. Are we, before God, bound by that law? No. Because there is a higher power and that is the authority of God. Now as long as they do not contradict or uh, try and usurp the authority of God, then whatever they say, we're, we're to obey. Even if it's taxes. <laughs> Sadly, too bad that wasn't in there somewhere, right? <laughs> Lord, why, God even gave us a specific example regarding taxes. I mean, he must have known what we would be like, you know. This is going to be a problem. I better show them real clear here. Yeah, you've got you've to pay your taxes. Oh, man, why did God put that in there for us? But he did. So we got to just obey those that uh, God has ordained the powers that be, and, and we're to submit as long as they, they don't tell us to dishonor or disloyal, be disloyal to God. Then he loved the church and gave himself for it. 
He set up the church, this amazing organization here on earth, to every believing Christian should be an active, participating part of a local called-out assembly of believers. They should be part of a church. The definition of a church is a local, visible assembly of called-out believers who have been baptized and covenanted together to follow Christ. Now, I said a whole lot of doctrine in that one statement. There's a lot of things, and we don't have time to get into all of that, but I want you to know that Jesus Christ loved the church. He gave himself for it, and it is his plan that we participate and be part of a good Bible-preaching church. Amen? Amen? Amen. Well, let me give you several things. I actually have nine things, but we're going to go quick. I hope. We're going to go quick. We have nine. I wanted to get ten so I could have the ten commandments for the church member, but I couldn't come up with it. Maybe you could give me one more at the end of the service today if uh, something comes to your mind. But it's going to start very basic and then going to get a little bit deeper and a little bit deeper as to what a church member is. First of all, very clearly and understandably from the Scripture and a requirement to be a member of our church is that you must be saved. you got to be saved. You know that uh, just going to church doesn't make you saved. Just uh, knowing about God or growing up in a Christian home doesn't make you saved. Doesn't give you a personal relationship. You might have religion. I was at the door a couple of weeks ago and I was dealing with a, a, a lady and I said, listen, religion has never saved anybody. I said, I don't much care for religion myself. She's like, you're a pastor. <laughs> I said, yeah, but religion is not what it's about. It's about a relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen. It's not about a list of do's and don'ts. It's not about a, uh, uh, a you know, keeping of these particular things in order that you might get to heaven. Hey, Christianity is a relationship with Jesus Christ, trusting him as your Lord and Savior. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. At some point, you have to have chosen Jesus Christ and decided to become a child of God. For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It's not what we can do. It's not going to church. It's not keeping the Ten Commandments. It's not being baptized. But you must be saved. This is a problem when churches begin to fill up with unregenerated people. They begin to fill up with people that don't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. People that the Holy Spirit is not coming and dwelling in their heart. You see, the Bible tells us that to the natural man, the things of God can't be seen, can't be understood. We teach and preach the Word of God here, and to somebody that doesn't have the Holy Spirit, which the Bible says will guide you unto all truth. The Holy Spirit does that. And it's necessary that you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you and you get him by believing on Jesus Christ who died and gave himself for you. It's a very common thing today, though. You know that God has put it in the heart of man to want to recognize and acknowledge God. It's there. Doth not nature itself cry out and declare there is a God? And in the heart of man, there is a God-shaped hole that only God can fill. 
But the problem is because that hole is there, there are many, many, many people who know about God and they celebrate Jesus' birth at Christmas and his resurrection at Easter and they go to church to try and fill that God-shaped hole with religion. They try and fill it by just being in a pew, by maybe reading the Bible occasionally or if they've had a really, really bad day, maybe they'll try and say some prayers. Now I lay me down to sleep, I pray my soul, the Lord, to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord, my soul, to take. Do you understand that that is a cute little rhyme? But that's not an acknowledgement of our sin and a recognition of our Savior and an accepting of Him for your, for your life, for your salvation. The Bible calls that vain babblings. Just saying something, repeating it over and over, does not have meaning. There has to be a time where you realized you were a sinner and you needed Jesus Christ and you asked him to forgive you of your sin, to cleanse you, to wash you. And what the Bible says is the shed blood of Jesus Christ that has the power to wash away our sins. Paul told the people at the church of Corinth to examine themselves to see if they be in the faith. He said in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, he says, examine yourselves whether you be in the faith. He's saying, hey, just because you come to church doesn't mean you know Jesus, that he's saved your soul. And let me encourage you this morning. Do you know that you know that you know that you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you know that he's your savior? Do you know that this morning? You can. These things have it written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that ye may know that ye have eternal life. God said, I wrote it down so you could know exactly what's necessary to have eternal life, to be forgiven of your sins. You can know it. As much as I know I'm standing on a wood platform, I know I'm saved. As much as I know that I'm married to Mary, what used to be Samuel, I know I'm saved. I know it. There's no question, no doubt, no wonder. A church is supposed to be made up of people that have that settled. They know that they're saved. Let me encourage you, if you're here this morning and you don't know that, you don't know for sure that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you can know. Get it settled. Even if you're already a member of the church, sometimes people, they felt or believed that they were saved and they realized that They didn't know what they were doing when they were three years old and grandma said, or whatever your story might be. We've all heard the testimonies, unless you need to get it settled if you wonder. So church is made up of saved people. The second is people, church is made up of submerged people. Submerged, that means dunked, (laughs) baptized, (laughs) baptized people. You'll see all through the scriptures, every time that the testimony is given of people being added to a church, you'll see the chorus, the order of events is saved, baptized, added to the church. That is the order and the chorus of events that we read here in the book of Acts. It's what you see in the Great Commission, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel unto every creature baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, and teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. You see, saved, baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, and then teaching, 
is discipleship, training, getting them in as part of the church. We're supposed to be submerged. Why is it so important? You say, man, Pastor Kelly, why do you make such a big deal about just getting in some water? Exactly. Why do you make such a big deal about just getting in some water? <laughs> it's just some water. But here's the thing. This, it's, it's an identification with Jesus Christ. And here, if I trusted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, the one who died and gave his life for me, and I've trusted him. And the first thing that he asked me to do is to get baptized, to get into some water. How committed am I to Jesus Christ if I say, you know what, I don't want to get wet? I mean, maybe you have a fear of water, and you say, I've got a, I've got a fear of water, and, and that's why I don't want to do it. Maybe you just don't want to get your hair wet in front of a group of people. I don't know what your apprehension is, but what I'm saying is it takes about 30 seconds and you're up and out of the picture. It's just a matter of identifying with Jesus Christ. And if I, as a believer, am not willing to take that smallest of steps to just get in some water, if I'm not willing to do that, how committed am I to God? So that's the reason it is so important. Because we are publicly identifying with Jesus Christ. We're publicly saying that old things are passed away and all things have become new. It is a submission. You need several things to get to baptized. I'm not going to teach on baptism. We've got a great lesson online that you can listen to, uh, on sermon audio. Uh, but to get baptized, you need the proper candidate. That means it has to be somebody that's already saved. Because it's a picture of what you did. You have already, you say, well, I got, uh, you know, baptized when I was four years old, but I got saved when I was 25. Well, then you just went swimming. You've probably been swimming a lot of times in your life. But those weren't all baptisms. Baptism comes after salvation. So you have to have a proper candidate, not somebody that's an infant, somebody that doesn't know what's going on. You have to have a proper mode. That's not sprinkling. It has to be immersion. Why? Because that's the example given to us in the Bible by Jesus Christ, and he's the one that sets the rules. So I don't get to just do what's most convenient for me. Well, it would be a lot easier, Pastor, if you could just throw a little water on me, and we could call it good, because then I don't have to change my clothes and all that. I know it's a lot more convenient, but it's important to follow the biblical example. Amen? Now, there was a story that I found some years ago, and it's quite humorous. So let me read it to you with regards to following the biblical example of getting baptized by immersion. I have a pleasant story that I wish to tell in a rhyme about a circuit riding preacher who lived in recent time. He was a circuit rider of the good John Wesley's brand. He rode the finest circuit in all the blessed land. At one of his good charges, some members, not a few, became quite sorely troubled with the word into. The good book, quite plainly in the book of Acts and in chapter 8, says they went down into the water, just as the Baptists state. The preacher preached a sermon of extra zeal and might, and to his satisfaction, he set the passage right. Into does not mean into, but only at or nearby. They went down to the water and got a small supply. But near the place of worship, there lived a sister brown, 
And for her splendid cooking, she had gained a great renown. Her yellow-legged chickens and her luscious cake and pies had often made that preacher roll his weeping eyes. And her delicious coffee, in all the circuit round, the preach often admitted it like could not be found. So when the preacher, his sermon with extra power and length, he loved at the Brown's table to receive his, to revive his ebbing strength. But Sister Brown was a Baptist and the strongest in the land. She often reproved the preacher for changing God's command. She heard the preacher's sermon and thought on the subject or. Then she asked him for dinner as she had done before. She ground her good brown coffee, her kettle steaming hot, and put it at or nearby her very famous coffee pot. She poured her guest a cupful. I think it was no sin. But, dear sister, you forgot to put the coffee in. No, no, dear sir, that's coffee that I ground a good supply, and I put it at nearby. And if into, or near, if, if into is at or nearby, by the logic of your sermon, although I thought it rather thin, if at or nearby is into, then I put the coffee in. <laughs> so if you will truly promise to no more such error teach, I will go and make some coffee just the Bible way. And at this time, I, this time I will follow the instructions to the dot and I will put the coffee into, not nearby, the coffee pot. We have to follow the biblical example. Do it the way the Bible says. Not try and explain it or find some other way to make it more convenient. So you've got to be submerged. You've got to be saved. You've got to be submerged. Then I believe that you should be selected. You should be selected. You say, oh, how do I get selected? What I'm saying here is that God, I believe God puts the church together. It is God's plan. The Bible says the Lord added unto the church daily as such as should be saved. I believe it shouldn't be a matter of you just finding whatever church you like best. Finding whatever, you know, boy, I really like that church. They've got flashing lights. <laughs> I really like that church, boy. That, you know, it's always something. I mean, these things happen, you know, whatever. My, it's not just a matter of what's most convenient, but you pray and in your heart seek God's will and believe that God wants you to be a part of that church. Selected by God to go and to be a part of a particular flock of believers. I believe that you should know in your heart that this is where God wants you. It shouldn't be, oh, I just liked it. Because you know what? One Sunday I'm going to get up here and I'm going to preach something that you don't like at all. And you're going to say, boy, my like just changed to dislike. See ya. But that's not the way it should be. You see, if in your heart you know that God put you here, when the pastor gets up and preaches, thus saith the Lord, you have to look and say, okay, God, you put me here. Must mean you want me to hear that. By you saying that you want to be a member of the church, what you are saying is you're testifying, I believe it is God's will that we as a family submit and be a part of this church. You're not saying, boy, I just like it and I hope it continues the way it is because I'm enjoying it today. No, you're, you, I believe you should be selected. The Bible says that the church is fitly joined. God puts the church together. There, there, are, there 
are people here that you're a part of this church and God put you here for a particular reason, a particular purpose, you are necessary for the completion and the function of Hunt Valley Baptist Church. And the church needs you. But do you know what? It goes the other way too. You need this church. You're fitly joined. You're put together like a hand in a, hand in a glove. You say, boy, sometimes that's a pretty rough fitting glove. But do you believe you're where God wants you? You ought to believe that you are selected, that God has put you here. God said, I will build my church. He fitly joined it. As a a fitly joined member, you're saved, you're submerged, you're selected. You ought to also be steady. As a Christian, you should be steady. God said in his word, that I will dwell in them and walk in them and will be their God and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. Now receive you unto myself and will be a father unto you and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord God Almighty. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the same God today that he was back in the Bible days and he'll be the same God a hundred years from now, if he tarries that long. As believers, we should be stable. What I'm saying is we serve a, a consistent, stable God. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. That means who we are, what we do, what we participate in, does not change just based on society and what has become acceptable or not. It does great harm to the cause of Christ and to his church when people who say they're Christians act like they're not Christians. Does that make sense? You see how that does damage to the church? Because on one hand, I'm saying that I'm a Christian, that I I believe God, that I want to follow the Bible. But then on the other hand, I'm living like I don't believe any of that. And that does great harm to the church. A man was being tailgated by a stressed out woman on a busy boulevard. Suddenly a light turned yellow and just in front of him. So he slammed on his brakes so he didn't run through the red light. He stopped just before the crosswalk. This tailgating woman, tailgating woman was quite furious. She honked her horn and screamed in frustration. She missed her chance to get through this intersection, had to stop and thereby dropped her cell phone and spilled her makeup. As she was in mid-rant, she heard a tap on her window and looked up to see the face of a very serious police officer. The officer ordered her to exit her car with her hands up. She was taken to the police station, searched, fingerprinted, photographed, and placed in a holding cell. After an hour, the policeman approached the cell, opened the door. She was escorted back to the booking desk where the arresting officer waited with her personal effects and says, Ma'am, I'm very sorry for the mistake. You see, I pulled up behind your car while you were blowing your horn, flipping the guy off in front of you, cursing up a blue streak. And I noticed the what would Jesus do bumper sticker, the choose life license plate holder, the follow me to Sunday school plaque in your back window. And I thought for sure you must have stolen the car. 
Do you understand on one hand when we're saying, oh, I'm a Christian. And on the other hand, we're doing something that does not look like a Christian. It doesn't add up. Christians need to be steady. We need to say, this is what God wants me to do. This is how I'm supposed to be living. And I need to be consistent in that. The book hasn't changed. God's laws hasn't changed. Right is right and sin is still sin. It shall never change. Adultery is still wrong. Having relations with the opposite sex outside of marriage is still fornication. It's still sin. Homosexuality is still sin. Stealing and dishonesty is still sin. Drinking is still sin. Nothing in your life will stabilize you and make you consistent more than getting some Bible-based convictions that you live by. Dr. Lee Robertson said, the strongest stabilizing force in the Christian's life is Bible-based convictions. Saying, this is what the Bible teaches. You see, when we just do what we want, what we want can change. Some days I'm feeling really healthy and I want to eat healthy. Some days... I really want some Krispy Kreme donuts. <laughs> I don't have a conviction against Krispy Kreme donuts, amen? <laughs> so I could get some Krispy Kreme donuts, but other days I think, man, I shouldn't eat that. That's not good for me. I mean, it, it goes back and forth. But there ought to be some things in our life that are based on the Word of God that don't go back and forth, that don't change, that we say this is what God teaches and this is what I need to do. Any person through history who has ever amounted to anything has been an individual of conviction. Convictions that guided his life. Your convictions, of course, should come from the Word of God, and this will be a stabilizing thing which will make you a steady church member. Every church member also be, ought to be a student of the Word of God. And I'm going to hurry. We've got to be a student. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of truth. Are you in the book? Are you reading the Bible? Are you spending time in God's Word? Not just on Sunday morning when the preacher's preaching it, but do you get in it weekly, daily? Do you study the Word of God? We are supposed to be students of the Word. We're also supposed to be steadfast. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. We should be steadfast in our service here at church, serving God. God gave us a church so that we could come and, and serve him, not just soak up, not just sit in the light of the sun for a few minutes, but it's an opportunity to serve our Savior in and through the local church. It's a place for us to grow and to go. The church is God's organization where men gather and grow to serve him. As a member, it's not just that you will be called upon to do some work. It's you ought to desire and want to do some work. You ought to in your heart say, I want to serve God. What can I do? What can I do in church? Now, there, there at our Hunt Valley Baptist Church, there's some standards for service. And it really shouldn't be a problem. <laughs> Again, it's kind of like the thing with, well, why is it so hard to get in some water? I mean, it's just water, and it's going to be over in a couple minutes, and all you're doing is saying, okay, Lord. 
you know, I mean, go work down here at SunTrust Bank and tell them you're going to work in shorts and a t-shirt. Just tell them that's what you're going to work in. Because after all, that's what you like to wear. You tell me, come on, does that work? No, if you're gonna if you're gonna serve there at work, if you're gonna work there, you have to abide by whatever standards they have. Do you understand the standards in a particular church don't even have to be Bible based? Because the Bible says obey them that have the rule over you. And if those that are in charge say, Okay, all ushers, how many of you have ever been to a church where all the ushers had to wear mauve coats or something like that? Had to wear some type of suit coat. I, I mean I've seen it. All the ushers, I mean, that's not Bible-based. It's not they looked in the Bible and says, oh, ushers must wear mauve coats. How many of you are ushering this morning? You're an usher this morning? Okay, Brother John, you got your little ushers tag on, right? Little magnetic tag. So here you can wear whatever color suit coat you want. But you put your little tag on just so people recognize you, which is the reason why some churches say you've got to wear a mauve coat. Especially in a larger church, they want people to know, oh, there's an usher. If they need something, they know who to go ask. I mean, that makes sense, right? There's nothing really too difficult about saying, hey, we even got mauve coats hanging in the closet. Do you know that if you wanted to go down here to the Oregon Grill for supper, that if you show up without a coat, you can't go in there? You say, what? How dare they? I'm paying them to eat there. And I still have to put a coat on? Yeah. Yeah. Why, why, why is that all okay, but anytime the church wants to say, okay, hey, if you want to serve in this ministry, here's what the standards are. Here's what we expect you to wear. Here is what we expect you to do. It shouldn't be a problem, should it? I mean, I, I like Cordovan shoes. We could say, okay, from now on, if you're going to be on the platform, you've got to wear Cordovan shoes. I mean, that's kind of goofy, but I mean, what I'm saying is, it doesn't even have to be something we look in the Bible and say, oh... Here, the Bible says we have to do this. No, it's just a matter of, hey, this is what we got to do to serve here. And I want to serve, so I'll, be, I'll do that gladly. Hey, pastor, if the usher's got to wear a shirt and a tie and a coat in order to be an usher, I want to be an usher. I'll wear a shirt and a tie and a coat. Amen? Amen. It shouldn't be a problem. I'll tell you what, if I want to serve in Sunday school and I want to uh, be teaching in a Sunday school class, then that means I have to come to another service sometime during the week. Because we want you to hear the Word of God as well, not just be, uh, not just be teaching the Word of God. You've got to be fed sometimes too. So one of the rules here is if you're going to be serving, you have to come to another service beyond just the one you're serving in. So, so that, that's the rule. So listen, I don't feel bad about having rules for service. I mean, here's the standards. Everybody has standards. Everybody has standards. Some people's are way down here. And other people's are way up here. But everybody has standards. If I told you this morning, next Sunday, if you want to sing a solo, you can do it. Uh, You can even wear your bikini. How many of you ladies would feel comfortable coming in here and singing in your bikini? You say, Pastor, I'm not going to do that. So you have standards. You have somewhere where you draw the line, right? Well, we got to draw the line somewhere, and that, that, the person that draws the line is the pastor. 
So we've, we've driven, drawn the lines. We've tried to hold a, a, a biblical standard. We try and err on the side of caution. We try and say, okay, listen, if a single-piece bathing suit would be okay to sing in, you know, maybe we should, that, maybe that's too close to the line. Let's, let's go a little bit higher than that. Do you understand what I'm saying? We, we, you say, well, Pastor, why do you put the line so high? Because I want to be as close to right as I can be. And I, I'm not perfect, but we want to try and please God. And so we say, hey, if this right here is probably okay, then we want to be up here. That way we know we're okay. Right? When you're driving down the road and you see a police officer <laughs> and you touch the brake and you realize that you were already going two miles under the speed limit, you slow down a little bit more, don't you? Like, just in case. <laughs> One guy got stopped by the police and the police when they pulled him over, they said, sir, do you have any idea how fast you're going? He said, yes, I do. What I did not have an idea was, was where you were at. Because <laughs> that would have changed the whole scenario here. <laughs> so we got standards for service. And listen, they shouldn't, we shouldn't get all bent out of shape about it. It's just, here, here's what we do if you want to serve. And, and we ought to all desire to serve. And say, okay. I'll be happy to wear a shirt and tie. I'll be happy to, to dress appropriately to, to work in the nursery or to maybe sing in the choir. I mean, obviously, you aren't going to sing up here in your bathing suit. So somebody's got to pick, where, where are we going to say it's acceptable? So we've driven, drawn the line. And if you want to serve, we can go over these details with you. But please, just have the right heart about it. Is I just want to serve God. And whatever, whatever is required here, I'll be glad to do that. We ought to be steadfast in our service. We ought to be steadfast in our soul winning. As a church, we've been endeavoring to do that. Let me give you, we're going to move on. We ought to be supportive. And they continued daily with one accord in the temple and the breaking of bread from house to house. They did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. They were supportive. We ought to, I'm going to fly through this. We ought to support the people of the church. Exhort one another to love and to good works. We ought to support one another, encourage one another. We ought to support the program of the church, whatever the church is doing, whatever program is going on, vacation Bible school, uh, uh, Valentine's banquet, Christmas, ban Christmas banquet, Fourth of July activity, whatever's going on in your church. You said, hey, I want to be a part of this church. I'm going to be a member of this church. I'm going to support the church. That means you, you support the church. Be faithful to the programs of the church. It's always hard for me to say this, but you ought to support the pastor. He, he needs your support. Not only should, should we do that, but we ought to be spiritual. We ought to, every, every Christian should be spiritual. And be not drunk with wine where there's an excess, but be filled with the Spirit of God. This is the admonition for every single believer. We're to be filled with the Spirit of God, not just the preacher, not just Sunday school teachers or, or the deacons or the ushers. Every one of us ought to be spiritual, Amen. We ought to be spiritual. Not only that, we ought to be sweet. We ought to be sweet. Be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. We ought to have a sweet disposition. Church is no place for a sour disposition. I mean, hey, get right with God. Get right with your brother. And then tell your face that everything's okay. 
I can guarantee, I mean, hey, put a smile on, I, increase, I guarantee you it'll increase your face value. Put a smile on. Hey, we ought to have a sweet disposition. We ought to be having the joy of the Lord in God's house. We can be sweet to everyone in this room. You may not like everyone in this room, but you can be sweet to them. You can be kind. You can be compassionate. You can have unity. You can be of one mind. We're to love as brethren. Love as brethren. Not, not like the world loves. Not. We're to love like a brother loves in good times and in bad. We're to be courteous to one another, gentle, caring, seeking their good. So church members, you ought to be saved. You ought to be submerged. You ought to know you've been selected by God. This is where God wants you. You ought to be supportive. You ought to support the work. You ought to be steady, steady, uh, faithful, consistent. You ought to be students of the word of God. You ought to be steadfast. You ought to be spiritual. You ought to be sweet. I hope your desire is to be a, a blessing, not to be a burden. I hope your desire is to, to be the most beneficial towards God and his work that you can be. And here's some key thoughts about, about accomplishing that.